Welcome to the Cashflow Canucks podcast, where Canadian entrepreneurs and investors come to learn about wealth creation. Experts in their fields will join your host, Peter Lount, to share their successes, challenges, and discuss opportunities. Join me and my guest, Marco Pasqua, as we talk about enabling others to live happy lives. Marco has been running his business as an inspirational speaker for about nine years now. He does accessibility consulting, which means he helps organizations and businesses realize where they could support individuals with disabilities by building universal design. Welcome and enjoy. Today on Cashflow Connects, we have Marco Pasqua, entrepreneur, speaker, and accessibility consultant. Marco, thank you for joining today. Thanks, Peter. I'm really excited to be here. All right. Um, can you, uh, maybe we'll just start with uh, just telling the audience a little bit about yourself and a bit about your journey. Sure. Uh, so... I'm 34 years old. I have been running my business as an inspirational speaker now for close to nine years, um, as well as I do accessibility consulting. And what that is, is that's actually helping organizations and businesses realize where they could support uh, individuals with disabilities and uh, people within our community by, uh, by building universally. So building universal design and supporting people to access the program services and features of their buildings and what they provide, um, no matter what their background or their challenges may be. And so it's been an amazing journey. And uh, I really love this. Uh, surprisingly, it's actually not my background at all as far as what I went to school for. But as life goes, and as entrepreneurship goes, uh, you learn new things about yourself, and you kind of roll with the punches. And uh, I'm so happy that I landed in this field. Yeah, and I find like any entrepreneur I talk to, they aren't necessarily, it's not a straight path, right? Like I went to school for this and I'm moved to this. Can you maybe take me back to kind of that sure. stage and how you made that transition? Well, I for should start off by saying to the listeners that uh, you wouldn't be able to tell this uh, by, by just looking at me and you can't see me if you're not looking at a video clip right now, but I actually am a person with a disability. I was born with cerebral palsy and that means for me um, that I have trouble or difficulties walking, so I use a manual wheelchair uh, to get around. And so my whole life um, has been sort of... Um, built around uh, overcoming obstacles or challenges. And I think that maybe that was the secret sauce of the DNA that would ultimately lead me to be an entrepreneur. But my original background, I, what I went to school for in post-secondary was actually video game design. Uh, I always had a passion for video games and for the technology industry, uh, probably because I could design and build worlds and characters that had abilities beyond my own. And that's why I had a fascination with video games because I didn't have to live by the restrictions of the real world. Um, but unfortunately, in 2010, when the recession really uh, hit its peak point, um, that's when I lost my job working for one of the biggest game companies in the world. And it was the best thing to ever happen to me because I wouldn't have left the regular working world had that not happened. Um, I would have continued to go on my path and continue to pursue that. But I really felt at the time that there was something missing in my life, that I wasn't actually giving back to the world in a way that I felt was meaningful. And so um, that experience is what opened my eyes up to entrepreneurship. In fact, it was my girlfriend at the time, my now wife, who was the one who encouraged me and said, she was so excited actually the day I called her to tell her that I lost my job. And, I, and, uh, and the abridged version of this story is I asked her why she was so excited. And she said, because this is your real opportunity to do what I think you were always meant to do. And I asked her, what's that? And she said, inspire people. 
go out there and light a fire in people and give them the passion. And so with her encouragement and uh, with a belief in myself and a gamble on myself, that's when I started down the journey of leaving the game industry and seeing how I can transition into supporting other people um, through inspiration or motivation. That's awesome. Thank you for, uh, for sharing that for sure. And now, um, how, what was the, what was kind of the process to jump into that, to get into the speaking, right? You, yeah. Well, okay. So, so first and foremost, because I had a disability my whole life, um, I had had opportunities to be supported by a lot of charities or not-for-profit organizations that were there for my family for various fundraising events, for equipment like my wheelchairs growing up, different surgeries. And so the very first thing that I thought to do was actually approach the organizations that supported me, those not-for-profits, because that was an active audience that I knew would potentially be interested in hearing my story. Uh, the only problem was is I had no idea how to start a business. And I actually, um, you know, here in Canada, I learned about a program that was available at the time. It, it no longer exists um, here in BC called the SEEDS program, Self-Employment Entrepreneur Development Society. And actually what it was is that after you, uh, you're you on EI, you're on employment uh, income or insurance, and after that runs out, if you have an interest in self-employment as opposed to working for another employer, you could apply for this program. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. But the catalyst of this program was it's actually an extension to your EI. So if you're successful in making into this program, not only are you starting a business, but you're actually being paid by the government to start your business as it would be enriching the economy. And uh, I'll give you an abridged version of that. Essentially, what happened was um, Dragon's Den style. I had to go in and basically audition to be a part of this program. And I remember really being nervous because this was my last chance. I mean, I had exhausted all my EI funds. I was no longer going to be having any money coming in. I was very nervous. A young guy uh, with, my, with my wife living with me and nervous as what the future had in store for me. But I thought to myself, well, this is the last gamble I can take. It's on myself. And I remember this program, you'd, you'd see everything from doggy daycares to uh, food truck operators that were trying to apply for this funding. And I remember... Uh, they said, by the time you're at the end of our introductory stage, you will no longer be on EI funding. So literally, if you don't get this, uh, you know, best of luck to you type of thing. And so for the two weeks before we're supposed to present to this Dragon's Den style panel, it was just before Christmas time at the time. Uh, you're supposed to read The Entrepreneurial Myth by Michael E. Gerber, an amazing book, and be able to recite what you've learned about being an entrepreneur as opposed to just working in a business. Um, it's also working on your business. And then you had to pitch what it is that your business was going to be. So I remember before this uh, Christmas break, I had to go into these, uh, to these uh, entrepreneurs, this panel of experts. It was about five local entrepreneurs in the lower mainland here. And they basically listen in and you go in, you say your name, and then you say what your business is going to be. And you present on why you have what it takes to run that business. And based on those five opinions alone, that's how they approve whether or not you make it into this program. And uh, I remember very distinctly uh, going up to the panel and saying, nice to meet you. And I'm Marco Pasqua. And they said, and what are you going to be presenting on today? And I said, well, I'm going to be presenting on becoming a professional speaker. And they said, wait, so you're going to be presenting to us on how to be a professional presenter? 
And I said, yes. And they said, well, you better have a damn good presentation. And I said, I hope so. So great things to hear just before you're about to be judged by a bunch of people. And I had no idea on whether or not I'd be approved into the program. They had a very straight face after I gave this presentation. And the two-week Christmas break came. I had no information as to whether or not I made it in. And then I get a phone call in the new year saying, please come in. Uh, you know, we have some information to reveal to you. Still not telling me whether or not I made it into the program. And uh, out of 22 people who had been in the room with me and applied for the program, I opened that door and there was 11 people in the room. So literally only half of the people had what it took to make it into the program. And that's what introduced me uh, to the program, which consisted of being led by facilitators, everyone from marketing experts to finance experts, uh, people who knew social media, people who knew this. And it was a full one-year condensed program on building out your business with the support of these facilitators at no cost to me, um, also getting paid you know, while building out this business. And that was really my, my basis, the structure, the foundation of A, building the business, and then B, going to that Rolodex of contacts and, and just kind of hitting the ground running and getting out there. Awesome. Yeah, so... Um... You know, any entrepreneur I hear too, in terms of their story, there's always this like turning point, whatever is that massive challenge. And that was, it sounded like that this process was, was that probably your biggest challenge that you had had to overcome as an entrepreneur? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was first and foremost, the belief that I could be an entrepreneur, you know, my whole life, um, because of my disability, I've been, I've been judged. I've been told that uh, I'm only going to amount to a certain amount, that there's no way that I could even be uh, in the working world to begin with, and that I should just stay on disability assistance my entire life. But I guess it's in my blood because my dad uh, was an immigrant. He, I'm only first generation Canadian. He came here from, from Italy uh, to make a better life for my family, you know, a typical sort of Canadian American dream type of thing. And, uh, and I wanted to prove that not only could I supersede that of somebody who's part of an immigrant family, but supersede that of, um, you know, what is uh, the assumptions that are put on me as a person with a disability. And I think that the, the biggest barrier for me once it actually kicked the business off was being taken seriously by these organizations that were typically used to seeing me as this poster child, as the guy with the disability with the cute rosy cheeks as a 10-year-old boy, who's now, you know, at the time, um, you know, I was in my uh, mid-20s and saying, no, 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 what you don't understand is I'm actually building a business here. And so as such, as a business, I need to be paid for that. And there was a lot of things where it was just like, oh, are you willing to do this and that? And the answer should be to any entrepreneur out there is, Yes. When you're first starting out your business, if you want to get the word out there, especially if you're a speaker, be willing to speak at any of the dusty rotary clubs you can find. Be willing to give free 20 minute uh, keynote presentations just so people can get an idea as to your energy and the vibe that you have to present. And that can be applicable to any kind of business. It doesn't mean that you have to sell yourself out by not making an income, but obviously, you know, give yourself the wiggle room uh, to at least build a basis, build a customer audience. And, and I think that that was the thing, the hardest thing to struggle with was that first year of really uh, building an audience that, um, that knew me, that could trust me, and then that would be willing to turn around and pay me potentially an increased fee in the future because they saw value in what I was delivering as an entrepreneur. But once I got past that initial year 
And people knew that I wasn't just talk, that I was actually delivering on what I said I was going to do. It became easier and easier. And that's ultimately why I built a system for connecting with people. I don't know if you visited much of my materials before this talk, Peter, but essentially um, I developed a system called the Q principle, which stands for creatively utilize your best energy. And the reason I did that was because people were asking me, well, how is it that you're meeting the people that you're meeting? How is it that you're going to these networking events and speaking to celebrities or, you know, having these meetings with guys like Gene Simmons from, from Kiss and things like this? And I said, well, it's actually about authentic connections with people. You actually bring them value. You give without expectation. You go into a situation and you don't expect anything out of it other than a real connection with somebody. And if the connection is real and authentic, then it will come back to you tenfold. You know, some people call it manifestation. Some people call it the law of attraction. I just wanted to uh, create it in a way that was digestible for a new and a different audience. So to be clear, I'm not reinventing the wheel, but you wouldn't believe the amount of people who say, wow, that's an eye opener when you say, you know, when you actually plan to make a real connection with somebody, how it can actually impact the, the relationship that you build with that person. And so that authentic connection thing was how I was going to stand out um, as a speaker uh, to my audience, where they would see my wheelchair first, but that's not the reason why they would remember me by the time I left the room. That's cool. I probably have about five different things I heard out of there that I would say, yeah, like I think of compounding, right? Of the time that you spent, the perseverance of getting out there, right? Mindset. Your mind is such a huge barrier to, you know, I mean, that's probably the, everyone's biggest barrier. It's not your disability. It's your mindset, right? That really holds you back. You set goals, right? You set those goals. You fill that gap. You get to the goals, right? And yes. Re, and then giving. Giving is massive, more massive than people even believe too, right? But uh, yeah. I think I think that any entrepreneur, uh, the biggest downfall that any entrepreneur can have, and I, I want people to pay attention to this, is being stubborn thinking that you have all of the answers. Yes, it's important to have a bit of um, confidence in yourself, but there's a difference between confidence and an ego. And I'm never going to live my life or my business from a, from a position of ego because essentially what I believe we're all here to do on this planet, whether we're working from someone else or for ourselves, is to learn something, is to develop ourselves and to become a better version of ourselves than we were yesterday. And the only way to do that is to absorb the information from the people around us. I'm sure people in the uh, podcasts have heard that you're only as good as the five people that you spend the most time with. So I like to spend, spend my time with people who can sharpen my intelligence, who are often much more intelligent than I am, at least in certain subject matters. And then uh, before we got on the podcast, Eddie Peter, we talked about, you know, knowing what you don't know. And I think that that's important because we're not going to be experts on everything, but my goodness, can you become somebody who is respected for a particular subject matter? And so hone in on that, find your niche, find the ability to be that expert in that space, but know that you can lean on other people to kind of fill in those gaps and support you to reach those goals ultimately uh, to make yourself better. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, you know, through my studies, we also call it the arrival syndrome, right? Like, you're educated, you know, everything you need to know. Right. And that's it. But then even to take a step further, you know, you know, what you don't know. What about that out the circle outside of that? What you don't know, you don't know is even more powerful, something you don't even know that's even out there that you're not even learning either. Right. There's so much you can learn from people. That's the idea behind why I built this group is to really 
you know, give some people perspectives, like just listen. And I think that's so key to, to listen in, to understand, um, definitely to, to teach others, but so important to, to listen to others. Well, especially as an entrepreneur, I, I think that people think that you have the potential to make boatloads of money right out the gate. And although in some industries that may be true or some services that you offer that may be true, it's about being agile and, and learning that your business is like having a child. You have to treat it like a child. It's going to tell you the things that it needs. Um, it's also not going to tell you some of the things that it needs, but you have to be able to listen to it and adapt as you go. And I think that um, for the person purposes of your audience, they would appreciate this, having financial literacy and understanding uh, what you're going to need for your cost of goods to build out your business, whatever it happens to be for your startup costs is so important. And I think that the reason why I found so much success and have been able to, um, you know, uh, really find success in what I make financially is actually because I live very much below my means. Although I make, you know, decent money as a speaker or a consultant, I actually live very, very below my means. And the reason being is that because I want to produce happiness. And I, I think that the th people who find true happiness live below their means to the point where not only are their bills paid for and they're, you know, they're taken care of and their family is taken care of, but it means that you have a little bit of extra wiggle room to not only build out your business with new ideas because you have your own individual capital to do so, but that you also have additional capital to do things like actually enjoy your time, like go on vacations with your family and things like this. Because at the end of the day, what do we, why do we do the things that we do if we can't sit there and enjoy them with the people that we love? Otherwise, there really isn't any point to this. And the cool thing about actually this pandemic, I'm an optimist. So I actually think this is the best thing that could ever happen to our society is people are now having a time to pause and reflect. And hopefully, you know, I know there's a lot of financial strain for many individuals out there. I mean, 95% of my income and uh, my business's income was impacted immediately. Uh, because of COVID-19, because majority of what I do is that public event in public spaces. And that was stripped away from me. But because I'm an entrepreneur, and because I think on my toes, I was able to adapt very quickly and make adjustments so that I can at least weather the storm. But I, I think that there's a lot of positive things that will come out on the other side of this. Yeah, definitely. I think um, there definitely is an entrepreneur, you have to learn to adapt, adjust to, uh, to the environments. I, I like the point you made about you know, the why, right? Why are you doing this? At the end of the day, you're an entrepreneur, but why, why are you doing it? You're doing it for family, you're doing it for friends, right? And um, that's, that's huge for sure. Can you tell me how, um, you know, you're, you talked about how your business has been affected, the speaking engagements, what about the accessibility consultant? How are those affected by the current uh, state of things? Yeah, well, definitely, I'm not able to go into physical spaces uh, in order to do assessments of a space to ensure that accessibility is met, not just from a physical standpoint for people with wheelchairs or assistive devices, but you have to think about people with low vision or who are um, blind or even uh, individuals who are deaf or are hard of hearing. You know, there's a lot of aspects there. However, there is capacity as an accessibility consultant to do some of these things through an online platform, through things like Zoom or reviewing things like blueprints. So I'm actually working with a number of municipalities right now on expansion builds to buildings or community centers that they're working on where they want to have my take as a, uh, uh, I'm actually a, 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 a 
a um, Rick Hansen Foundation accessibility professional. And essentially what that is, is the designation of learning how to assess a space using Rick Hansen, the man in motion. For many Canadians out there, they know who Rick Hansen is. He's the guy who wheeled around the world uh, in the 1980s to raise money for spinal cord injury research. He happens to be a, a close friend and mentor of mine. And he, a couple of years ago, created a program that supersedes that of building code so that uh, you, know, you can actually reach a gold standard when it comes to universal design for people of all abilities. And I took his training and his program and I'm considered an RHFAC professional now. And the cool thing about that is that we're trained everything from the built environment to where you park your vehicle to how you access the insides of the space and also how to read blueprints and work with architects and building designers on making spaces more accessible. So because of that blueprint space and because of uh, the additional knowledge that's not built on the built environments, I'm able to still consult with municipalities over the phone and using obviously just my computer and, and email uh, to give them my insights and my, my experience. And then once obviously we're, we're through all this, um, I can help them additionally in the, uh, in the additional stages of construction for spaces. That's awesome. Now, um, talked about Rick Hansen as a mentor. I was going to ask, and you actually mentioned Michael Gerber as well from a book perspective, yeah. which is really great. Is there, are there any other people, mentors, books that you can think of that come top to, top of mind to you and kind of what you took from what you learned from them? Sure. Uh, well, obviously Tim Ferriss, I'm sure uh, many, many people know of, of Tim Ferriss. Um, and then uh, ironically, you can't see this if you're not, uh, if you're not you, Peter, but I've got a picture of back to the future, uh, there. And actually I take a lot of uh, inspiration from Michael J. Fox as a, uh, as an individual, he's from Burnaby, uh, he's from the lower mainland. And I actually had the opportunity to, uh, with my speaking business, be a sponsor to his golf tournament back in 2015, uh, when it was the 25th anniversary uh, or sorry, yeah, the 25th anniversary of um, the release of Back to the Future, and uh, and you know it's uh, it's one of those things where when you get to meet somebody that you've looked up to your entire life and tell them how much of an impact they had. The reason I resonate with Michael so much, I think, is because of the fact that um, he's an individual who. Uh, and later in his life, he acquired the disability of having Parkinson's disease and how that's changed and impacted himself. So I have many of his books um, on audiobook, and, uh, you know, to be able to connect to him and say, like, thank you so much for everything that you've done. Um, uh, there's also Michio Kaku, uh, who's uh, a theoretical physicist. Uh, I, I'm a kind of a nerd. So I love quantum physics. And uh, Amit Goswami is also uh, a, a quantum physicist. Um, I like the idea of the human connection and how, uh, you know, you, you can have uh, down to the atomic level, you can have things like, like particles and, and various things that interact with one another and thing and things like quantum entanglement. One thing that seems like it's not connected to something completely different or something else, uh, that is seemingly not connected to it can be impacted almost like the butterfly effect. And, uh, and I love that idea of, um, you know, the fact that, hey, we are all human beings and we have the illusion of thinking that we're physical and, and all these things. But when you go down to the atomic level, we're just vibrations of molecules. And that, you know, I, I love that aspect of things and people who dive deeper on things like that, because it speaks to how our energy and how our vibrations affect those around us. And that's something that is interesting during a time of quarantine, because it's something that we don't 
experience are, are affected by as much because we're not around as many people. But you do impact and affect the people that you're around uh, just by simply the attitude and the energy that you bring to the situation. So any authors or individuals who are writers that are out there who can really pause, cause me to pause and think about how my actions could impact other people are people who I resonate with. So those are probably a couple of people. I really like Mark Cuban's um, backstory is, you know, he's a hustler. He's a billionaire now, but he started off by selling stamps, you know, in his local community door to door as a way of, you know, reselling something and, and kind of building out that connection and that social aspect uh, of his life to to eventually end up in the tech space. And then uh, now, of course, he's in many, many ventures. So Mark Cuban is probably another entrepreneur, somebody that I respect highly as well. So I hope I give you a, a vast amount of people from different industries that yeah. I, I that basically make who I am in my brain up and sort of what makes me tick. Yeah, I was going to get into that when you started going to the quantum physics, that side of things too, of you. Um, I was going to maybe this dives into this part of it, like things like meditation, like Joe Dispenza, yeah. anything like that. Have you read sure. anything on that? Like, and do you do any type of meditation on your end or? Yes, I do. Uh, so my wife, uh, she doesn't have any form of disability of any sort, but um, she loves yoga. And uh, one of the things that she she has wanted to do is actually get her adapted yoga instructor um, certification. And by that, I mean um, being able to work with people who potentially use wheelchairs or other devices um, to do yoga in ways that make sense. Now, I'm able to get out of my chair and I am able to move short distances. And so my wife does a lot of things like yoga and things of this nature, but we also do uh, meditations. In fact, we participate in mass meditations on a fairly regular basis with some YouTubers and some channels that we follow. Um, but I always find that the quiet meditations, they don't work for me because I'm sure you guys can tell I have, I'm a very high energy guy and my brain is always going a mile a minute. Um, so I actually find that mantra med meditations work really well for me where I can, where I can speak out a mantra or a certain phrase and really get myself tuned in in that way. Um, it, it allows me to still use uh, my God given, given talent of using my voice, uh, but uh, in a way that still connects me to, to oneself and really, um, you know, causes me to dial back and just relax a little bit. And especially during um, during this quarantine time or the pandemic, I've really found that being able to ste step away from the computer, step away from technology, uh, listen to binaural beats. I'm not sure if you're familiar with binaural yeah. beats. Binaural beats are awesome. You can download them. Uh, there are certain frequency that you can tune into and you can download different binaural beats based on uh, the mood or energy that you want to put yourself in. Great for uh, relaxation. Great for meditation, great for putting yourself to sleep, or for energizing yourself. They're all done on different frequencies, um, and you can listen to them while you're just drinking your coffee or you're reading a book or if you're trying to get to sleep. And so I think binaural beats in combinations with meditation has been my secret um, you know, combination that's worked well for me as somebody who's high energy and his mind is always going. So, Yeah, I think um, when, I, when I say yeah, something like a meditation – it, there's such a spectrum of it, right? And there's there is something for everyone at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I even have uh, uh, you can't see it here, but I actually have a plasma globe 
on my desk, you know, like one of those 1980s, 70s style globes that has the electricity going through. Oh, yeah. yeah. You'd see at like Science World. I have one of those at my desk. And um, when I'm having writer's block, because I do a lot of blog posts or writing as a consultant or as a speaker as well uh, for different publications, helping them post in, in various places. Um, sometimes I have writer's block. And one of the things I like to do is turn on my plasma globe and just kind of zone in and like you know to the electricity coming through the plasma globe and kind of putting my hand on that globe and just kind of like recentering myself believe it or not even that activity for two to five minutes um allows me to just kind of like forget all the noise forget all the nonsense of anything that's stressing me out in that moment and just play and i think that rediscovering play for a lot of people like hey we're all adults and we think that when you become an adult adulting means to completely strip away all sense of play and then we only are reintroduced to play potentially when we have children if that's the case but that's not true at all you can still have play exist in your mind and in your body in ways uh, for yourself as an individual. And it doesn't have to mean that you're playing with action figures or video games. Um, it can be something like uh, doing origami, uh, drawing, uh, playing with a plasma globe, just getting yourself uh, into a different mind state um, to the creative side of your brain and switching things up. And people will find that it's way more energizing because I was on a call just before talking with you where uh, the individual was saying to me, isn't it funny how even in quarantine, we're not doing as much necessarily, but I find that I'm more and more tired. Well, yeah, the reason why you're more tired is because uh, you're circulating the same air. You're not allowing yourself, um, you know, a little bit of break in your environment. Although we're lucky here in the lower mainland and in Canada, we're not on official lockdown per se. So you are able to go out and enjoy the fresh air, you know, maintain social distance, but, you know, enjoy a park somewhere, you know, take a breather, take a break. Uh, you'll thank yourself later. And I always find that I'm always so much more refreshed and ready to dive into new and more interesting content once I've given myself the permission uh, to play and to, to relax. Great. Yeah, great. That space, that space in your mind is so important for creativity. Can you um, just, as we kind of wrap, through the last couple of questions, really just, um, you know, what do you, what's your plan? How do you see things playing out, you know, 18 months from now, how do you, mm -hmm. how do you think things are going to be different for what you do and how the world that you live in is? Well, I'm actually really excited about it. As I mentioned earlier, I think that this has been the great equalizer in our planet and, uh, and in the working world. I think it's caused uh, corporations to realize that remote work is possible. And as somebody with a disability my entire life, the disability community has been screaming for the ability to have remote work for decades. And companies have said for years, it's just not possible. We don't have the bandwidth. We don't have the capacity to do this. And then miraculously, these same companies within 72 to hours to a week, all of a sudden we had the ability to do remote work. So I actually think that um, coming out of this is actually going to be a really cool thing. You're going to see more organizations realizing that remote work is possible. And what that's going to do is it's going to unlock new talent for people. So even for my business, it's going to open up different avenues for me to operate or offer my businesses or, or my services rather in ways that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise, or at least, um, my clients wouldn't have thought would have been uh, a possibility in the past. So doing things like 
webinars on a more of a regular basis, emceeing virtual events. I'm actually emceeing a virtual event called the Stay at Home Gala on May 2nd um, that's being hosted around the country, much like a, a similar event that was hosted uh, by the World Health Organization uh, over Facebook and things like this. Um, this event is actually in support of small businesses and business leaders that are affected by uh, COVID-19. And so it is a fundraiser and it is going to be raising uh, money towards the small business community in our different neighborhoods, but um, there are MCs uh, from various cities around the country, and I was asked to be the MC for the city of Abbotsford. Although I live in Surrey, um, it's the closest city that's hosting one of these events, the Stay at Home Gala, and they asked me if I would MC. So it's going to be really cool to see thousands of people connecting to this event across the country. And the cooler thing is, is think about this if you're in the food industry out there. Um, they coordinated it so that if you're a small business owner who owns a food business uh, and your city is hosting one of these galas, that 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 food company actually delivers the same dinner to the people within that city so that you still feel like you're eating the same meal. So if you're in Abbotsford, it's a local Abbotsford business that's that's providing the food. If you're in Vancouver, maybe it's a Vancouver company and so on and so forth. So it's kind of neat that we're all going to be able to sit in our own homes, potentially even have our own slippers on, still host this event, have live entertainment, have all these things, um, but also impact small business and have other businesses thinking of ways in which they can operate differently. And I think that to answer your question, that's what's going to continue to impact me and other businesses around us is they're going to say, you know what? We didn't offer delivery before, but perhaps there's a partnership opportunity here. Perhaps there's a collaboration here. And I, I would challenge any entrepreneur out there to think about the potential collaborators in your world. Who are the people or the partners that you could potentially activate uh, in the future that would be post-pandemic and say, you know what, we, we could be working together. We could be doing things a little bit differently. And so although I may be able to return to flying across the country and speaking and doing my accessibility work in the ways that it once was, I think there's a lot of ways in which I can now offer services in new ways that could only be realized from a situation like this happening. Yeah, I think that's good in terms of um, the, where I took from that is collaboration is huge. Um, and then, yeah, it's not going to be different, but how do we work in that new world? Um, so can you, um, can you share how people can get in touch with you uh, yeah. going forward? Um, sure. One for your speaking engagements and for accessibility? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the easiest way to connect with me is through my website. That's marcopasqua.com, M-A-R-C-O-P-A-S-Q-U-A.com. Um, and then through there, you can connect with me through all my social media platforms. The most active one that I use uh, is probably Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn. So if people are in the business community, they want to connect on LinkedIn, that's really great as well. And uh, most of my, my contact details, my backstory, uh, more information about me, some, some video content is on there. So there's probably enough information there for people to digest, get to know who I am as a person. But remember, I'm a guy about authentic connections. So if you do plan on reaching out to me, you better make sure that it's for authentic purposes and that you actually want to get to know me as a person and not just sell me something. Because uh, you know we, we need less and less of that in this world. Like We all know that there are products and services that we can use, but it's less about the sell and more about how can we support and impact each other in a positive way. Absolutely. Well, thank you for um, sharing your journey um, as an entrepreneur and, um, you know, where you're, where you're, uh, where you're going out of this. I uh, appreciate the time and appreciate you giving 
um, to the audience, Cashflow Canucks. No, and thank you to you for reaching out to me on LinkedIn. You know, there was a point at which we were complete strangers and I appreciate you reaching out and, and you know, finding my profile and, and, and saying that there was a point of interest there. Um, you know, without you making that connection, we wouldn't be having this talk today. So, <coughs> excuse me, people can learn from what you did there. Um, in order for making stronger connections within themselves. You know, uh, I, I think I want to end on the fact of there are three types of people when it comes to connections and networking. There's uh, connectors, collectors, and jerk, jerks. Uh, the collectors are the ones that just collect people's information so that they can add them on LinkedIn like they're Pokemon, okay? Um, the the collect uh, the connectors are the ones that are actually trying to make a meaningful connection like we are here today. And the jerks are the ones that when we are in physical spaces, they just leave their business card on, on a chair or anywhere they can without even introducing themselves to somebody um, so that they feel like, oh, I'm part of the package you're getting by being part of this event without even having any context to who you are. So if you want to be anywhere with anyone, make sure that we're in that connector phase and that we, and we want to avoid being the jerks of the world. So there we go. We'll end with that. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. See you later. Thank you for taking time to listen to the Cashflow Canucks podcast. You'll be able to find out more about our guests and how to connect with them in the show notes for this episode. Would you like to learn the secret way savvy investors and smart entrepreneurs are turning their expenses into positive cash flow? Then you want to read the Infinite Banking Concept book. For a limited time, I am giving away free copies of this book valued at $30. If you want a copy, just email me, Peter, with the subject line book to peter at cashflowcanucks.ca. Again, if you want a free copy of the Infinite Banking Concept book, just email me at peter at cashflowcanucks.ca with the subject line book and your mailing address, and I'll send you a copy. You'll finally understand how the wealthy elite is turning everyday expenses into cash flow. Just email me at peter at cashflowcanucks.ca.